0: Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy! Welcome, welcome in. Hey, I have a quick question for you. Um, If you are in here and you are not born in North Carolina, can you raise your hand for me? Really quick. Not born. Look at that. Look at that. That is the majority of the room. All right. Um, Same thing. If you're watching at another campus, if you're watching online, go ahead and type in the chat. Let us know uh, where you are um, or where you're from originally. Uh, Here's the, the tough news that I have for you about wherever you're from. Uh, No matter where you're from, no matter how you remember it, it's not as great as you think it is. And that's just the truth. Like, you might think, oh, no, where I'm from, like, it's people vacation there. And it's like, yeah, but it still has its problems. Like, everywhere... That, that we've been anywhere in this entire country like has its problems. Like there are places that are beautiful. They're great. Like people go there on vacation all the time. They have their things that people really enjoy. Um, but there's also things that makes no sense to anyone unless you, if you're from that place. Uh, so for example, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, being in New Orleans, I remember the first time that I left, uh, I went somewhere else and I was like, man, I want to get my hands on some crawfish. And somebody were like, where do you get crawfish from? And I was like, well, you don't have anywhere that has crawfish. I guess you find them at the bottom of a river sometimes. Like we call them mud bugs. You have any I can eat? And they're like, well, I was like, okay, well, how about alligator po' boys or turtle soup? Either one of those? Like- and it wasn't until I had that conversation with someone that I realized, oh, wait a minute, this is only normal to me because this is what they had in my hometown, right? Then I moved. And when you move away, you get to a new place. And that's really when you kind of start to understand their quirks a little bit. Uh, So after I live in Louisiana, we moved to Dallas, Texas. And I'm in Dallas, Texas. And uh, me and Mom, we're watching TV one night. And uh, the the news is about to go off. And the news anchor goes, well, everybody, that's the news. Uh, Oh, by the way, be careful out there tomorrow. It's the start of snake season. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Come again. Why is that like your closing line? That should be the headline. I should be getting the Amber Alerts on my phone. Like, you've been talking about the Cowboys for the last 45 minutes. You need to stick with the main story here, man. Like, that's what what it's all about. And then after uh, Texas, I moved to California. And California is like beautiful, palm trees everywhere. Like, everything is great. Um, Except in the 10 months that I lived there, I experienced an earthquake uh, a mudslide in the largest uh, wildfire in California history. And there were Instagram influencers. Like it was the most miserable 10 months of time. And they're like, yeah, but we have the most Teslas per capita. It's like, listen, dog, your state doesn't exist. Like you can't drive a smart car if the road won't sit still, all right? You can't brag about anything that's going on here. And it's funny that no matter, that's just gonna be what we do the whole time. I'm gonna be up for the next 30 minutes. I'm just gonna roast like every state in the United States. And then that'll be, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm done. Uh, but then I moved to North Carolina, and when I got to North Carolina, uh, what happened here? I remember I was here for about two or three weeks, and I'm I'm here, and I, I step out on my balcony in my apartment, and uh, and I remember I looked out, and I'm looking into the sky, and I see there's like this um this cloud, but it doesn't like the rest of the clouds, uh, it's yellow, and it's sort of making its way through the sky. And then I look down on my car and there's this yellow dust all over my car. And I'm like, bro, what is, I remember I actually went to somebody and I asked, what is this stuff and why is it on everyone's car? And they just go, oh, it's just pollen. It just happens. <laughs> no, it doesn't just happen. Like, y'all are the only ones, and you're treating it like it's not a big deal. Like, your nose is running, you have a napkin in your hand all the time. You're just like, you get used to it. It's like, no, no one is supposed to get used to flower poop flying through the sky. Like, that's not a normal thing that you experience, But here's what I noticed about everywhere that I've been. No matter where you, where you grew up, it has its quirks. And what makes you think it's not that big of a deal is if you grew up around that thing. Like when you spend so much time around it, you end up cozying up next to it and you end up getting a little bit comfortable with it. And I remember, you know, when we started this series, one of the things that Chase talked about uh, is how all of us have those things in our lives that God is calling us to get victory over. He's calling us to walk into victory over those things. And he talked about the different things that keep us back from receiving the gifts that God has for us. And one of those things for all all of us is sin. Every single one of us has some sort of sin in our lives. And unfortunately, the same way that we get used to the quirks that exist in our hometown, in the same way, we just go, ah, you know, it's just always kind of been there. I have problems, they have problems, everybody has problems. You you just kind of get used to it. It's not that big of a deal. And before we know it, we're passive in a fight against the enemy who is always active. When we, we take a look at these battle cries that we've been writing down over the past few weeks, and it's a reminder for us that we are all in a fight. And we're in a fight against an enemy who has a battle plan. And this battle plan, I'll be honest to you, is so good that he's been using it ever since the beginning of time. And that's what we're going to take a look at. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at the first time that sin enters into the world. And here's the thing. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you're not familiar with the story of Genesis, I just want to tell you we're so glad that you're here. Uh, just to catch you up to speed just a little bit, this is, this is the Bible. And we get together every week, week in and week out, and we dive into this thing, and we dissect it, and we study it, uh, but not just to talk about it, but because we believe that when we actually live these things out in our lives, uh, we begin to experience the type of victory in the battles that we are talking about. And so uh, one of the things that's so cool about this book is, yes, it's a reality uh, that Satan, he has a battle plan, but it's laid out clearly in here. And not only are his tactics laid out clearly, but God actually put in... Uh, the ways that we can fight against those things. And so in Genesis, uh, this is basically the story of how the entire world started. It's how everything came to be. Um, and so God creates this garden and he puts a man named Adam in the middle of that garden. Uh, and he tells him, listen, this, is, this place is perfect. And it's gonna be perfect as long as you follow the rules. And listen, here's the thing. I don't even have that many. <laughs> I have one rule that I, that I need you to follow. There's one way that I'm asking you to obey me. There's a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as you don't eat from that tree, everything will be fine. We make it about 15 verses. Um, And then this is kind of where where everything falls apart. You see, Satan comes to a woman named Eve. She's the first woman. And uh, and he catches her by this tree. And he tells her, hey, just listen, I, I know what God said. but but eat of the fruit anyway. And Eve, she almost makes it. She even goes as far as to say, no, I can't do that. God told me this is the one thing I'm not supposed to do. As a matter of fact, he said, if I do this, I'll die. And look at what Satan tells her in chapter three, verse four. He goes, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat this fruit, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And this is one of the tactics that Satan uses to get sin to overcome us in our lives. The first thing that Satan does is he tries to normalize and downplay sin. God said, this is gonna kill you. That's, that's not gonna kill you. It's all right. I mean, look, it's fruit. Who's not supposed to eat fruit, right? Just go for it. In, indulge, enjoy yourself. Lo and behold, Eve, she does it. She gets the fruit and she takes a bite and she gets Adam and he takes a bite. And there it was, the first sin ever. It was the first time that God told someone how the world works, and then in response, we say, no, God, I know better than you. It's the first time that our pride gets in the way and says, listen, God said one thing, but I really, I mean, this seems like a better option. So sin enters into the world, and then we pick up in verse seven, it says this. At, their, at that moment, Their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid the first thing that Satan tries to do with sin is he tries to get us all to downplay it. The second thing that he does is in those moments where we break and where we give in, he cloaks us in shame. And he points the finger at you and goes, I can't believe you did that. Really? You're a horrible person. You're messed up, man. You, I can't believe, of all people, you know better. And that shame, it causes us to hide from God the same way that Adam and Eve tried to hide from him in the garden. You know, Satan, he keeps using this tactic because it works. It worked back then and it works with all of us today. I don't know if you ever had a moment where you were in the car uh, and somebody cuts you off and just, ah, it just comes out, <laughs> And you realize what happened, you realize what you said, you realize how you gestured to them, and then you catch a look in the rearview mirror and you see your kids in the backseat and you're like, ah, I really wish they didn't see that. It's almost as if you could disappear in that moment that you would. Or or maybe you do something and no one else is around, but you catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and you're like, I can't even look myself in the face. You see, sin always wants us to hide in shame. But that's not what, what Jesus tells us to do as a result of our sin, right? We know that because in 1 John John chapter five, Jesus, uh, his message is being passed along by John. And look look at what John says here. He says, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and now I declare it to you. It says, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, As God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Our natural inclination is that when we sin, we need to hide it and put it in the dark. And that's the exact opposite of what God wants us to do. God actually wants us to bring those things into the light so that he can deal with them. What's funny to me is in that, in the garden story, right? Adam and Eve, they sin, so they hide away from God. And God goes, where are you? You think God didn't know? (laughs) No, God knew exactly where they were. I actually think God was offering them an invitation to come talk to him in that moment. And here's the thing. You can't hide from God, right? We can't hide our secrets. We can't put our things in the dark but we can actively run away from his grace and that's what Satan wants. Satan doesn't want you to hide away from God so that he doesn't know what you did and he knows what you did. Satan wants you to hide away from God because if you get close to him, then you'll receive the grace and the forgiveness that he wants to pour out on you. And so even in our hiding, what we see is the nature of our father who says that I love you so much, I'm gonna send my son Jesus to die on the cross for you to forgive you of all of that sin. God loves us so much that he chased us down in the dark with his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us and say, this is proof that you never have to hide anymore. I've seen what you've done. I've seen what you're doing. I see what you're going to do, and I forgive it all. All you have to do is embrace the light and come closer to God. So if this is the truth, if we receive that forgiveness by actually coming close to God, like so many of us have asked for forgiveness from sin over and over and over and over again. And it's, it's habitual stuff, stuff that we're stuck in. And you ask yourself, why am I still stuck? Why is this still an issue? And it's because our active enemy is very persistent. And he never gives up. Look at the way that 1 Peter chapter 5.18 describes Satan. Right here, Paul. I'm sorry, Peter says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I read this verse um, and it made me think, like, man, that's such a strong comparison to use, like comparing Satan to a lion. And so I went online uh, and I found video, I don't know if you ever watched those nature documentaries of like a lion hunting its prey. It is the most terrifying and gruesome thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like it's, it's fascinating because the animal world is fascinating, but also it's, it's terrifying. It's one of those things like you, trust me, if, when you leave here, go look up a video and I promise you, you'll watch it like this the whole time. Like you're like, ugh, but also kind of cool, but also ugh. And what'll the way you feel your stomach starting to turn when you watch things like that, man, my heart breaks the same way when I watch a video like that and I see what a lion does to a zebra and think, that's what Satan wants to do to my soul? I don't know if you ever noticed this, but the Bible, it doesn't use a mild language to talk about sin. Uh, the Bible compares it to things like death, not just a minor inconvenience. Like when you see that lion chasing the zebra, he's not trying to play tag. He's out to devour him. So we hear that and we think, man, Satan wants to do that to our souls. Well, what do we do? Well, Peter gives us the the answer in the first little, the first two words of that verse. He says, stay alert. Stay alert. One of the things that I notice about that zebra in those videos, usually they get caught slipping. Usually they go over to a creek or something, and they have their head down, and they're drinking water, and there's nobody around them. There's there's nobody watching his back, nor are the zebras around. And then the lion attacks. It's It's the lack of the alertness, the diligence that Peter calls us to that makes us most vulnerable. And I just want to ask you, what are those areas of your life where it's easy for Satan to catch you slipping? Where are those areas of your life where it's easy to let something slip through the cracks? Maybe for you, you work in a a position where um, you're with the numbers all the time and you start to realize after a little while, man, maybe I can scrape a little off the top for me and, and nobody would notice. Maybe it's behind the closed doors of your home when you lash out on your kids and, and your anger just really takes over and you're like, man, I'm really glad people don't think that's me. Because outside of your house, you're just this nice, sweet person, but, but this monster comes out of you when you're behind closed doors. Maybe you're in a dating relationship right now and, uh, and you and your significant other, you're, you're sleeping together. and you think, well, as long as she doesn't get pregnant or as long as he doesn't run his mouth, we can keep this a secret for a really long time. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe you're engaged to someone and, and y'all haven't done anything together, but, but one of you has a past and you're like, man, I should probably tell my fiance about this, but I don't, I don't know how they'll view me if I do. Maybe you're married and it's after your spouse goes to sleep and you know that it's just you and your cell phone and you can do whatever you want. And I want to be clear, I don't mean to harp in on sexual sin here, but, but I would, we would all be remiss if we didn't recognize that it. This is, uh, it's just one of those delicate areas where it's so easy for Satan to slip in. But maybe, maybe it's totally different, right? Maybe you work a really tough shift and you get off late at night and you say, I'm just going to go to the bar and I'm just going to get a drink. And then one drink turns into two, two turns into three, three turns into four. And you just think, well, I had a rough day. What are you going to do? See all of these things, they, they have different faces, but they all have one goal. It's it's Satan trying to attack our souls. And I know for a fact that there are people in here right now who you, maybe you have a pit in your stomach because something that I said, it just it struck a nerve. It hit the nail right on the head. Some of you are maybe taking a sigh of relief because you go, Well, he didn't say my thing, so I think I'm okay. No, listen. I want to ask you this question bluntly. What's your secret? What is that thing that you keep holding on to and you keep hiding because you think, well, as long as I keep this hidden, there are no repercussions. Probably doesn't take you long to think about it. This is a silly analogy, I know it, but um, does anyone in here watch Stranger Things? Anybody? Yeah, a few of us, right? Um, we just rewatched Stranger Things a few weeks ago because season four came out and we're like, let's start from the beginning and you know, waste even more time. Um... And so we start at the beginning, and there's one, like, the whole show is wild. It's all sci- sci-fi, so, like, nothing's supposed to make sense. But there's a scene in season two, actually a string of episodes, where a kid named Dustin, uh, he gets home, and in his trash can, he hears something rattling around. And he looks in the trash can, and it's a, what they call in the show, it's a demogorgon. It's a little, like, it's a demon from a parallel universe. And he's like, I'm going to keep this thing as a pet. So he takes it, and he puts it in, like, a terrarium inside of his room, and he covers it with a blanket and all this other stuff. And episode after episode after episode, episode this thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and if you are a sane person you're watching this and you're like what are you doing like this makes no sense why would you ever and you just keep waiting okay this episode he's surely going to get rid of it nope gets a little bit bigger he's going to get rid of it now nope gets a little bit bigger eventually the thing eats its cat and you're like surely he'll get rid of it now that it ate the cat no he puts out a trail of baloney for it and leads it into the uh, the basement and you're just like kid why are you holding on to this thing that has the potential to destroy you And I don't know if you guys ever have this moment like me, but you watch TV uh, and then the screen goes off and you realize very quickly that the screen kind of turns into a mirror if you look at it the right way. (laughs) And I go, oh, man, this is what happens to us when we hold on to our sin and we let it go unchecked. It grows in the darkness until eventually it turns against us and it maims us and it kills us just like a lion on the prowl. So what do we do about that? Do we let it sit in the dark? Well, no. I mean, if that's what the darkness gets us, then there has to be another solution. And so I think that the solution of these things is confession. We have to move these things out of the dark and into the light. We have to move these things away from being secrets and actually invite someone or something in to help us overcome That issue. And so I think there are two people that we need to confess to. The first is the one that we already talked about, and that's God. And you may be thinking, why do I have to confess to God if he already knows? Let me flip the question a little bit. Why not confess to God if he already knows? All he wants to do is pour out his grace and his forgiveness on you freely. And he wants to help you bring that thing into the light so that the blood of Jesus can cover it and forgive that thing. And and believe it or not, there are times where confessing to God is kind of easy. But can can we get to the tough part? Some of you are like, that wasn't the tough part? We haven't gotten to the tough stuff yet? No, it actually goes a little bit further. The Bible is clear. That when we confess our sins to God, that is where we get forgiveness. But it actually teaches that when we confess to others, that's where we get healing. So while I would say that step one is being honest with yourself and being honest with God so that you can know and realize and live in the fact that you are forgiven, we also have to bring this to other people in the community of faith so that we may get healing. This is most explicitly explained in James chapter 5, verse 16, where he writes this. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confessing to God brings us forgiveness. Confessing to others brings us healing. Uh, in a phenomenal book on this topic, uh, there's a guy, his name is Aaron Stern, Um, he wrote a book, it's called, What's Your Secret? Highly recommend it. Uh, And he, he writes this way in talking about that. He goes, doesn't healing come from Jesus? Like, isn't confession just about me getting right with God? Why is confession to another person necessary? Can't forgiveness and healing come in the same package? It seems like that would be so much easier. If Jesus is the healer, why do I need to tell someone else my secret? So in order to answer this question, he he actually zooms out of that verse from James chapter 5. And and he says, let's look at the context a little bit. And and this is what it says. Starting in verse 14. James, asks the question. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer is offered in faith. I'm sorry, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's the part we just read. And then look at what he says after that. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Stern goes on in his book and he says, are the elders the ones who heal? Can you experience healing by praying for yourself? Should you pray to the elders or or should you pray to Jesus? Jesus. James painted the picture of Jesus as a healer who works through the community of faith. James said that we need others and he encourages us as believers to be healed by the body of Christ, to lay our brokenness and pain, not simply before God in privacy of our hearts, but also before those around us. And can I be real? It's gonna take a lot of courage. If you're in here and that thing is already in your mind, you already feel it tapping at the back of your heart, you're probably thinking, I don't know how in the world I could possibly share this with someone else. Here's the thing. Sin tries to cut us off at the knees, but God actually gives us a way to cut sin off at the knees and to take away its power. That's by bringing it into the light. So I have four things that I want to give to you in our last few minutes here today. Four ways of cutting sin off at the knees. The first thing you have to do is find the right person. You have to find the right person. Here's here's the reality. Not everyone cares about your soul. Not everyone cares about your well-being. It's, It's unfortunate, but the reality is that there are some people who you will confess to, and that's just more juicy gossip for them but that's not who we're called to confess to. We're called to confess to those who care deeply about our souls and about us experiencing harmony with God. Once again, let me tell you something, picking the right people is the difference between, um, it's the difference between this being just a painful experience and this being a healing experience, right? It's gonna be painful. But the goal isn't more pain. <laughs> the goal is healing. And it's in finding the right person that is going to help you in that healing. I actually I have a group of guys that I meet with um, every week. And this is kind of our framework for it. This is how we do it, okay? We ask each other three questions. Very simple. Where did you say yes to Jesus this week? Where did you say no to Jesus this week? And how did you pursue likeness in your life? And let me tell you why these three questions are so great. One, because it's consistent. We know we're going to have this conversation every week. But not only is it consistent, but we come together, and yes, it gives us a formal place to confess to one another. These are the ways that I've blown it. But you know what? We don't just leave it there. This isn't just a place for us to throw a pity party. No. Instead, what happens is is that we actually get to celebrate with one another all of the ways that God is already doing work in our lives. Yeah, listen, you messed up, but there's another area where you, you, where you felt and achieved victory. And then on top of that, we don't just talk about what we're achieving now, we talk about how we're pursuing likeness. We're talking about ways that we plan to embrace this holiness in the future. You need people around you like that. And I just wanna ask you, do you have people around you like that? It might be people, but you gotta make sure you get the right person. When I was in high school, Uh, There was something that I was struggling with and I went to, uh, we were at like a camp retreat or something like that. And there was just this moment um, where we're just going around and everybody's hugging each other. It's a beautiful moment. And there's this guy who come to find out he was dealing with the same thing that I was dealing with. And so what we did was we made a little bit of like, have you ever seen like, imagine, okay, imagine like our problem was cursing, right? Swearing. Uh, So you know how people make like a swear jar? You know what I'm talking about? Um, some of you, your kids made you do it. But yeah, it's, it's like a swear jar. And it was like, hey, every time we say something that we're not supposed to say, we're going to stick a dollar in the jar. And they were like, well, what do we do when we get all the money. It's like, oh, why don't you take that money and we're going to buy tickets to a basketball game? That did not solve the problem at all. Why? Because now we're just incentivizing sin. So let me tell you something. If you're in here and you're a young person or if you're watching and you're a young person, I want to tell you, maybe finding other people who are in that exact same stage of life isn't the best way to go. It is best to find someone ahead of you who has actually achieved some level of victory in that area to walk alongside you and lead you. Maybe that person's a small group leader for you. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe you don't have those people. And if that's you, I would highly encourage you to find a small group. And sure, you may not show up on week one and say, hey, everybody, here's everything I've ever done. Welcome to the group. No, that's not. Don't do that, actually. They probably wouldn't appreciate it. But when you get plugged into a community like that, it's a, it's a, it's a breeding place for trust instead of a breeding place for more secrets. Second thing that you have to do is you have to be willing to initiate the conversation. Uh, I grew up in, in certain faith traditions where it was very common uh, for people to come around and, and have, you know, just come up to you and say, hey, man, listen, uh, I was praying and, and God put this on my heart to tell you and, and I think this might be for you. So, you know, uh, and I actually use this as a way that I thought God would, would, would help me get rid of my sin. I used to sit in worship services and say, God, if you really want me to get rid of this thing, you're going to send somebody to me to call me out on it. (laughs) Guess I'm good. And I think the reason why God never sent that person to me is because he's like, why do you need someone else to tell you what I've already told you? Why do you need someone else to come to you and confirm things that I've already said in in my word about this is not the way that you're supposed to live? And in me being able to initiate that conversation, that tough conversation with someone else, it brought to me the things that I need for faith. It helped build and establish in me openness and humility and submission to someone else, all of which I would say you can't really follow Jesus without. So while I saw this as something that was terrifying, Jesus actually saw it as an opportunity for me to grow as a follower of him. The third step is that we need to be brutally honest. Be brutally honest. As I alluded to earlier, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death and we can't afford to treat it as anything less. I mean, if you got shot in the shoulder, you wouldn't go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm feeling some tingling in my fingertips. No, you're, you're going to address the issue and say what it is so that it can be taken care of. So what if instead of saying, ah, I lost my cool, you admit that maybe you have an anger problem. Instead of saying, hey, I've been looking at things that I, that I shouldn't look at, call a spade a spade. Tell someone, hey, I'm struggling with porn right now. Instead of saying, oh, we slipped up, admit to the right person, hey, listen, I know me and so-and-so have been dating for a while and been trying really, really hard at, at this, this purity thing and keeping our sexual integrity, but, but we've slipped up, we've messed up. We've been sleeping together for a few months now. To quote Aaron Stern again from his book, he says, "Um, by keeping the details in the dark, our goal is to make people think that it really isn't that big of a deal. However, when we put it all out there, our honesty helps bring a weight to the situation. Check this part out, this is huge. Our honesty gives specificity to those praying for us and tangibility to true accountability. You want someone to pray for you, you have to let them know how to pray for you. You want someone to keep you accountable, you gotta let them know the details. And that's going to be tough. So here's the last thing. When you make up that moment and you find the person, you decide you're going to initiate, when you decide that you're going you're to be open and honest, you're going to have to brace for impact and let the chips fall where they may. Um, whatever your thing is, there are probably going to be consequences. Because sin always has consequences. Adam and Eve, their first sin, it brought death into the world. But guess what? The Bible teaches that the same way that sin entered the world through one man, so did salvation. And that was Jesus. The same way that that mistake that you made 20 years ago brought sin into your life. That is the same way that one decision to follow Jesus wholeheartedly will overwhelm you with a wave of grace. For some people in here, the sin or the baggage that you carry, it's not something that you've done, but maybe it's something that someone did to you. And I want to I affirm and let you know, you are not at fault in that. But if it's a thing that just sits and it nags in the back of your brain and it is, a, it is a, a hole in the armor for Satan to attack you and tell you lies about yourself, you need to confess that to someone. And I know it's scary. I know that there are gonna be conversations had this week where maybe you see someone in your small group and you say, hey, listen, I, I don't wanna tell everybody, but can I pull you to the side can I talk to you about something? I know there are going to be people who leave the service today and they go and get in their car. And one of you might grab the, the volume knob and turn the sound down and say, hey, can we talk about something for a minute? Here's what I want to tell you if you're the person that's on the other end of that conversation, because I think this is very important. If someone trusts you enough to come to you and have and start that conversation with you, can you be the right person? They're coming to you because they think that you are. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that you have to, oh, no, that's fine. Just brush it off. No big deal. No, your your job is not also to make light of their sin. Your job is to let them know that when they bring that sin into the light, there's grace waiting for them. Your job is to be a conduit of that grace. And your job is to show people, hey, this is how Jesus would respond to you right now. You know that thing, grace, you know why I know about it so well? It's because I've experienced it. Let me extend it to you also. I realize um, that this is, it's one of those messages that can, that can pick at scabs and, and reopen wounds and just create a lot of harsh, tense situations for us. So whenever, you know, whenever I I speak to middle schoolers, the thought that always goes through my brain is, is what is that thing that I want them to do when they leave here? And how can we give them an opportunity to do that right now? So that's what we want to do. We want to give you a chance to confess. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to make you turn to someone next to you and pour it all out, right? That's not, that's not the goal. But I do want to give you a moment to do that with God. Because he's ready for it and he can handle it. Maybe you've confessed that thing to God before, but your prayer, maybe it moves on to the next step. Maybe uh, your next step is, is God, I feel like I need to tell someone, but I don't know who that someone is. Can you show me? And I believe that we have a God that, man, when you bring that stuff into the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. From all of our sin the same way that first John said. Let's pray. Father, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your plan. God, thank you that the moment Adam and Eve. Messed up in the garden, you covered them. Thank you that the moment Adam and Eve messed up, you looked at Satan and said, guess what? There's someone who's coming who is going to deal with this problem of sin once and for all. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross and for the ways that 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 purifies us and shows us that you forgive us. Lord, first and foremost, I wanna ask that that we would extend that same level of forgiveness to ourselves. God, help us to look at ourselves the way that you view us. Lord, we're sorry for all the times in our brokenness that we ran away from you. And we're sorry for all the times that, that we thought, oh, if we just keep this thing in the dark, that it'll go away. But God, that's not the truth. I know there are people right now in here who are imagining the tearful conversations that they may be having tonight, tomorrow, later this week, in person, over the phone, wherever it is. And, God, they're scared. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us with courage. Fill us with everything that we need. in order to do the things that you've called us to do and in order for us to get healing, Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I have one last thing for you. If you have that battle cry card with you, I want to give you something that I hope helps make that conversation a little bit easier. Here's your battle cry for this week. I will confess to others so that I can go on the path to healing. I will confess to others and walk along the path to healing. Let me tell you, it's scary, but it's so worth it. I love you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. The generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our Food Pantry, Homework Club, Project Classroom, and many more.